Hello and welcome to The Wilderness Mind, a podcast that celebrates all things nature and well-being. My name's JK, coach and facilitator at Where the Mind Grows. I've got Sarah Spencer with me today, which is very exciting. Just as a pre-frame before I let Sarah introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the journey for yourself with nature and connection in terms of well-being. I guess one of the things that I really wanted to share with people is my own journey, I guess, through Think Like a Tree as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that in more detail later, but I've been on an absolutely amazing journey in terms of Think Like a Tree so far and being able to explore and use this within my own coaching approaches as well and help more people to kind of utilise and learn from nature for their wellbeing strategy. So I'm sure we'll have lots of conversation about that in today's episode as well, Sarah. So I'm going to hand over to you to do a little bit of an intro for yourself as well, and then we'll get into some conversations. So there you go, over to you. Thanks for having me. This is really, really exciting to kind of be seeing your journey as well through Think Like a Tree, because I kind of first devised Think Like a Tree about four years ago now. So it's fantastic to see now new facilitators coming on board and taking the ideas in their own new directions, which, you know, is very much part of what Think Like a Tree is all about. The ideas are that we learn from nature. So we look at the systems that make nature successful and resilient and able to grow and adapt and thrive. And then we think, how can we learn from those for our own lives? And that can be for you know our own health and well-being right through to how we run our businesses, for example. Going way back, my background actually was working with refugees and asylum seekers as a legal representative. So I learned a lot about resilience back then. But then in 2010, I was made redundant and thought, what am I going to do next? And I've always been passionate about the environment and about nature. I grew up in Charmwood Forest and now live in the National Forest in South Derbyshire. And I discovered something called permaculture. And permaculture was devised in the 1970s, but based on a lot of wisdom that predated that by a long way. What we can observe about nature systems to design agricultural and horticultural systems, and I did that for quite a long time, but because of various sort of health issues that I've got, I decided to adapt those ideas and then I discovered things like biomimicry and other nature inspired solutions and I decided to adapt those and use them for my own health and well-being so through that process I've kind of amalgamated a lot of different disciplines modeled it into something that's my own and then obviously Develop Think Like a Tree as courses. And then a couple of years later, wrote the book, Think Like a Tree, The Natural Principles Guide to Life, which has been fantastic because it's opened up a whole new audience. And then this year, a second book has come out, which is a creative workbook. We've got it here. I'm flapping it around. <laughs> <laughs> it's been absolutely lovely because I mean, lockdown was so strange for so many people, wasn't it? But actually, for me, it was actually positive in lots of ways because it enabled me to kind of calm down a bit some of the activities that I've been doing. So from a health perspective, it was really 
good just to consolidate some of the stuff that I was doing and get rid of some of the extra things that were causing me stress. But my daughter graduated from university during 2020. So she was away at uni. And then instead of heading off straight down to London, as she planned, she came home for a few months, which was just wonderful to have her at home. And then she illustrated the book. So it was our kind of mum and daughter lockdown project. So it was brilliant to be working and creating and spending time with her. And so it was a really positive experience. Do you know, it's lovely to hear you kind of openly talk about that benefit of lockdown, I think. Lots of people got benefits in lockdown. I know it's quite a distressing time for a lot of people, but there's been so many people that I've heard that have just given that space and that time to allow that creativity. And I think for a lot of people, they realised how fast life was and I think that one of the things that is so appealing to learn from nature is yes it is very productive and it's very active in what it's doing and it's certainly got many projects on the go to help it kind of thrive and things but that it also has time for space and rest and things as well I've found that working with clients in nature that that's something that gives them permission in a way like once they're out in nature like having that space and to then be able to create projects that link time with nature as well must have been a lovely kind of combination of doing the two things. We heap a lot of stress on ourselves with things like feeling guilty when we slow down, feeling like we've got labels like lazy, or if we say no to things, then we're being selfish. And we have all this baggage really running around in our brains. And I was quite a long way down that journey because of having had a really bad health crash in 2015. And so I had to sort of overcome a lot of that as part of my process of recovery and learning from nature and being outside and just looking at trees and thinking nobody's telling them they're lazy you know when they're just dropping their leaves in winter (laughs) you know nobody's saying that to them why am I saying it to myself I'm not being kind to myself And a lot of it wasn't true anyway, because a lot of it, I think, is self-imposed. It isn't necessarily other people saying it to us explicitly, but we impose it on ourselves. And we live, obviously, in society that encourages us to have this 365 days a year, 18 hour days, whatever. And when we look at nature, that's just not how it works at all. (laughs) No, exactly. And I think those rhythms and rest points and everything... I'm sure we'll talk more about learning from nature. And you used a lovely term before we started recording about being apprentices of nature. And I think that's something we could definitely come back to. The interesting thing for me is my discovery, I guess, into Think Like a Tree, I was telling you in the facilitator course, was I was doing all this stuff, you know, out in nature. And I actually Googled Think Like a Tree because I could see that there was something there. It's like nature's got all the answers. It's a full-on expert of doing resilience, as you said. You know, we're so so sort of accidentally arrogant sometimes that we've got all the answers where we've got this thing surrounding us, you know, even in urban settings, haven't we? We've got access to this thing that can teach us about resilience and pace and quality of life. And that's what I was kind of really looking for as an addition really to support myself and support clients in finding meaning reducing overwhelm all of those kind of things as well and ironically in doing that observation which is part of your design cycle doing it without even realizing 
like you're saying, the more you notice in nature, the more you're like, oh, hang on a minute, that might be quite useful to do that <laughs> in my life as well. Do you want to just talk a little bit about biomimicry then? Because that might not be a term that many people are familiar with. And I know that sort of links in with that sort of observation and learning from nature and being that apprentice yeah. of nature. Absolutely. Yeah. So that phrase came from biomimicry, I believe. So there are lots of different nature inspired disciplines. And when I say nature inspired, what I mean is they look at how nature functions Mm -hmm. and then learns from those processes for a variety of disciplines. So it's not just looking at what nature looks like. So for example, you know, I'm wearing a fake leopard skin coat but that's not what it's about it's not about how it looks it's how nature functions yeah so biomimicry is used in a variety of different disciplines everything from architecture product design it's kind of looking at things like how does a leaf allow for water to run off it so why doesn't dirt stick to a leaf and therefore decreasing photosynthesis. And And you see that in a lot of good fashion design, don't you, that actually there's direct biomimicry in like some of your walking gear and stuff like that, that actually the the meshing and the patterns, yeah. Exactly, you're learning from those functions and then thinking, okay, so let's design a coat where the dirt doesn't stick to it. Let's design some paints where dirt and rain just runs off so velcro is a really good example where that predates the official biomimicry but it's based on the little hooks on the seed casings basically that stick to an animal's fur then the animal takes it off somewhere else the bird drops off and then the plant grows up in a different location so this has been around for millennia humans have been learning from nature but the unfortunate thing was that at some point in our history we became separated from nature and decided that we were only going to see nature as something that we can have dominion over yeah whereas this idea of being an apprentice is looking at nature as 3.8 billion years of evolutionary success and thinking well hang on a minute we humans are a lot younger than that yeah (laughs) There's all these success stories out there. What can we learn from them? And there's a really good website that you should look up, which is called asknature.org. Yeah. Which has got loads and loads of solutions in lots of different categories. So you've got all these disciplines. So in biomimicry, it tends to be like product design, architecture, that kind of thing. Then you've got permaculture, where you've got nature-inspired systems in traditionally agriculture and horticulture gardens landscapes etc but now permaculture is moving quite a lot into other disciplines so things like the transition movement it's about local solutions to global problems yeah that will also look at nature inspired solutions like circular economies for example Nature doesn't do waste. There's no bin collection on a Friday in a forest without any humans there. Um, (laughs) So we can learn from that in the sense of when we design resilient communities and economies, we can think about circular economies. So how can we make sure that nothing's being wasted? Everything in a forest that is not needed by one organism gets transferred into use by another organism. And we can learn from that as well. So we produce these no waste systems. And then, of course, there's people like myself and yourself looking at 
how nature inspired can be used for health and well-being of people and then that's got a wider context because when you learn from nature for health and well-being it's almost impossible just to look inwards well it is impossible to yeah. just look inwards yeah. so there are a lot of self-help disciplines out there which just encourages to turn inwards that we're the problem that needs to be fixed that yeah. it's all in our mind when you look at nature you see that we're part of an ecosystem we might be more or less divorced from that ecosystem depending on the way we live our lives but you know our ecosystem is other people is other living beings that we share our world with and we've got this interconnectedness so therefore by necessity when you look at things like a tree or people in permaculture or your own discipline then you have to look outwards and think okay so what role am I playing in the world how can I be a good ancestor like trees are and therefore you get this earth care perspective that you don't get necessarily in other self-help personal development disciplines you know I'm incredibly passionate about that and that's my motivation for having founded Think Like a Tree is that nature connection is fantastic but let's look at it as a two-way thing we're becoming nature connected for ourselves and therefore that improves our well-being but also when we become more nature connected we care more about the world around us because our eyes are open to the fact that that's what makes this planet a success and these principles that make the world work in the amazing diverse way that it does and therefore it becomes this positive spirals these spirals of abundance where you know you're benefiting in terms of your well-being then that's then benefiting other people and then you're benefiting other living beings and it just creates this like spiral of wonderfulness which is what nature does you know absolutely and I think that it's an empowering particularly if someone's listening and they may be overwhelmed by what's going on in the climate and change and politics and society and everything that the news feeds us and that can result in its own anxieties for people and that can also result in people feeling very powerless. And certainly, as you talk about, is taking yourself and reconnecting with nature. And we're not just talking about going and hugging a tree or, you know, touching soil. The usefulness, the eco-psychology that's built in from understanding how nature might do something and how that might benefit ourselves, like you say, it can be very empowering for someone because where they felt disconnected and like they can't change anything about their well-being or about their community, then there's loads of evidence out there that shows that, you know, even workplaces that do nature connectedness, and nature relatedness or do that sort of more regenerative model of thinking that that influences and supports people to feel empowered to be part of that community and that kind of change. And most of what I do and I think probably similar for yourself Sarah is about the purpose and meaning of what we are doing as a being on the planet and reconnecting with that natural world can be so helpful in giving that sense of purpose and meaning and just inspiring people I think Mm. as well and just thinking about what you were saying about the permaculture stuff I remember when I worked with public health and we delved into community design and how in places where there wasn't access to green space that people's health and well-being was massively impacted and you know even just having a little bit of green space or a couple of trees and having access to that that had a significant impact on people's 
health and well-being in a positive way. So they didn't even need to know nature relatedness or nature connectedness, like the biophilic responses that were just naturally there within us. We've just, I'm going to use the word suffocated in a way with all the other Mm. stuff you used the word divorce before. And I think that for someone who maybe hasn't rekindled that connection, it might feel like a different language to people. How would you explain to someone or how would you encourage someone who might be feeling quite divorced or disconnected from nature to maybe explore that reconnection? What would your advice be, do you think? I think the first stage, and this is where we always start with any course or workshop or anything that people come on, is to get out there and to practice using all of your senses So this is something that you can see if you do forest bathing, for example, use all your senses. You can just practice shifting different perspectives as well. And this is really good for your eyesight as well. So you're (laughs) training your eyesight as well. So when you go out for a walk, have a look at the little details on a leaf or a little seed casing or something really small and have a look at that really close up. And then look at the landscape as a whole. And then interestingly, you can start to see patterns emerge that are replicated across the different scales. But it starts opening up your eyes. I realise how much of the time prior to all of this I spent out in nature, because I was very nature connected right from being a child because I grew up in a forest. But I was in my own head. Yeah, I was always thinking about something else. So I was going for a lovely long walk, but I wasn't noticing what was around me at all. I was worrying a lot of the time or planning or thinking or just thinking about what I'm going to have for tea or whatever. I just wasn't present. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's always the first step is to actually practice being present using all of your senses, but asking your mind to go quiet for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first stage, which obviously has in common with all nature connected disciplines. Yeah. You're getting that benefit. And then the next phase with Think Like a Tree and learning from nature, we re-engage our brain, but then start thinking, what can I learn from those trees that are around me or that grass? And the really fantastic thing about this is that you do not need to get in the car, get on a bus and drive halfway across the country to go to some wilderness heads up there is no wilderness left in the UK really so you're not going to find it anyway or you're very very rarely going to find it but we've got nature all around us wherever we are yeah so it doesn't matter if you are on a really urban street you'll see a dandelion pushing up through the concrete on my drive into Derby there is a tree that's growing out of an abandoned Victorian and it's just like right on the top And the inspiration for that, obviously, like resilience and finding your niche, your niche is not going to be the same as everybody else's niche. You know, who would have thought there'd be a tree thriving on top of a building (laughs) up there, you know, and how did it even get there? Presumably a seed dropped by a bird. So you've got a whole thought process about ecosystems and you've got different species helping each other effectively. Learning from nature is absolutely everywhere. And all it needs is just a very slight shift in mindset. And the really exciting thing is 
my firm belief is we know all this stuff anyway. So actually, I have so many conversations with people who are kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's like they knew it already, but they just needed somebody to externalise it for them. Absolutely. Um, And there's a lot of validation in there and permission of like around be tuning into that. I think sometimes it's like you say it's there. But just having someone to have that conversation with is so beneficial. We have to think about all the messages that we're being given that are totally opposite of this nature-inspired message, which is our evolutionary default. Until 10,000 years ago, the advent of agriculture, we probably spent more time with other living beings than we did with humans. So we were learning all of the time from other living beings. That's not that long and 10,000 years and obviously technological age, you're only talking half my lifetime, actually. But the messages we're getting are very, very different. And the messages are that nature is there to be destroyed. In a lot of cases, it's only there as a resource. So a lot of the terminology around nature is to do with looking at nature, not as a co-beings that we share the planet with, but as resources But also the way our societies are with advertising and consumerism, that everything's there just to be consumed. So we've got to be aware that although this nature-inspired way of living is very natural for us, you mentioned the word biophilia, you know, it's deeply embedded in us. But we have so many messages that run counter to that, that we need to be able to overcome those. And so... It's simple, but it's not easy, if you know what I mean. It is. You know, adding to that, I think I might have just been making a totally new word here, but it (laughs) sort of got fluffified as well, didn't it, nature? It was like seen as sort of very extreme spiritual and that maybe that put some people off. For a lot of people, it was a useful framework to access nature through. But I always revert back to kind of the neuroscience. I like the geeky side of it as well. (laughs) So actually... There's so much research out there that just shows that spending time in nature and what it does for our brains in terms of reducing that stress hormone or those feelings of overwhelm. So even without you thinking your brain is responding to that environment, it's seeing that that is a calm space in some way, like a safe space. Yes, sometimes there will be risks and we don't have blue mammoths and stuff anymore, but we've got to still kind of be aware of that. But by experiencing it, I think that builds people's confidence and they can define their relationship with nature without feeling that it's too far away from the consumerist side of society or it's too far towards the kind of woo-woo side that they're not quite necessarily comfortable with as well. And it is accessible to everyone. You know, it really is and can be for people. You don't have to fit in any boxes. Nature certainly doesn't require that of you either, does it? So give yourself the freedom to explore that. What do you think are your maybe like top three lessons that you've learned from nature through the stuff that you've been doing? Oh, goodness, JK, (laughs) you put me on the spot there. That's a really interesting one. I mean, I'd have to repeat what I said about learning to pause. And, you know, that's been a really key one for me. So my illness involves elements of fatigue and overdoing it is really not good so to get rid of all those self-imposed labels of laziness etc through observing trees and forests has been just revolutionary really and I think when you start taking that pressure off 
you free yourself up to be more productive so actually it's a positive spiral you're not just saying oh I'll just go to bed forever you'd say no I'm going to pace myself and then when the time's right I do what I can do that's right for me so that would definitely be one the mycorrhizal fungi they're dead trendy now everybody loves I but I will explain just in case anybody <laughs> listening who doesn't know doesn't know so basically trees have a relationship with fungi on their roots that allow the trees to share nutrients and water and to communicate, which is just awesome. And it's only relatively recently we've known about this, but it's just changed the way that we look at trees, but it also has changed the way that we look at the relationships within nature. So it's overturning this idea that it's all about competition and survival of the fittest. Now, of course, there are elements of that within nature. All beings are trying to survive. But what we see is that actually there are elements of sacrifice within nature. So one tree will share nutrients. So an older tree, for example, would share nutrients with a younger tree, sometimes to its own detriment. So this idea of altruism The science of altruism in humans is actually relatively new and the science of altruism in trees is very new. But I think that it's totally shifting the way that we look at this interconnectedness of nature and what makes nature thrive is actually the connections. It's not the individuals all fighting for supremacy. It is about how they connect. And it very much has influenced my business model in how I've developed Think Like a Tree. So I could have done a hierarchical system where I'm at the top charging for every course or that kind of scenario. What I've decided to do is to go for the mycorrhizal fungi approach, which is have a network of facilitators that are trained up and then they can take things in their own direction bringing in their own disciplines and their experiences. And the great thing is for me, I don't have to know everything, do everything, be an expert in everything, because in creating this network, yes, I'm giving up an element of control over what happens. But for me, that's actually really exciting because what you get in return is people like yourself come along with all your amazing skills and experience that I don't have for example, your experience with working with corporates and individuals, that is so exciting. And it's all modelled on the way that the connection, nature yeah. you know, shares a structure. I mean, interestingly, it's relatively similar to the internet in the sense that yeah. in the internet, you don't have one hub because it's a resilient system. You know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, think like a tree is still there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's a resilient system as well because you've got that knowledge to take forward and the other facilitators have as well. I always say with the sort of my crisis of hunger, I think as well is that for people who are in that state of overwhelm or stressed or like even just people doing maybe like the perfectionist beliefs and stuff where they feel pressurized to achieve something is if you went into a woodland and there was one tree that was responsible and all of the survival and development relied on just that one tree, we wouldn't be looking at a woodland. So, you know, you couldn't just be a lone tree. Like It just yeah. wouldn't work in an ecosystem. And actually Absolutely, use, use yeah. that. Like If you're giving yourself enough 
pressure and stuff then think about all that communication and that connection like you're talking about with the fungi how much that strengthens and enriches your own experience but also all of those other people that are connected together and with each other and so yeah I can totally see how that one's sort of beneficial for you as well they're just awesome Oh, I know. I know. Because you asked for three. So there was the pause, the interconnectedness. And I think the third one would be like the be a good ancestor principle. I've forgotten the exact quote. It is in the book. Another plug for the book. (laughs) There's a quote that says, if your ambitions can be completed in your lifetime, you're not thinking big enough. And there's the famous quote out there is about planting trees under whose shade, you know, you'll never sit. Mm. And nature really teaches us this. And I think the longevity of woodlands in particular, you know, I'm really fortunate. I live in the National Forest right out of my window right now. I can see veteran trees that are hundreds of years old. Yeah. And just that inspiration of thinking, if I plant trees now and I have planted thousands of trees in my life. Yeah. Letting go of the need to know the outcome. Circling back to what you were saying before about anxiety, eco-anxiety and things like that. The worst thing that can possibly happen is that we let that eco-anxiety paralyze us because then we're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And we need everybody to be part of the solution. So the way to overcome that is by taking action, by, again, being inspired by trees and letting go of the need to know what the outcome is going to be. So if you stop worrying about what the outcome is going to be and just think, is this thing I'm doing good or bad? Yeah, yeah. And you know in your heart of hearts what's good, really. Do you know what I mean? Planting a tree is good. Yeah. Yeah. Helping somebody is good. If we start thinking on those terms, but without thinking, oh, well, you know, I plant a tree, but then it might die because of global warming or something, you know, just let go of that. A tree doesn't send off its hundreds of thousands of acorns, an oak tree in a mast year going like, oh, God, I bet they'll all be eaten by acorns, so I won't (laughs) bother. You know, (laughs) yeah, we've got to just keep going. Definitely. And I think we're talking about natural principles. I've mentioned them in a few of the podcasts and they're part of obviously the Think Like a Tree. I talked to my portfolio didn't I, about it. it's almost like this has become a new language for me. Like I've come back to these natural principles and alongside that be a good answer is know that your actions can change the world. That's everything from spirituality to quantum physics in my head because I'm like, well, yes, if the atoms change and that changes something else, you know. That is the thing is we can find ourselves in a sense of depression and helplessness, hopelessness and worthlessness. Like what's the point in trying or giving up or feeling like things are difficult and actually just allow that flow to happen and make a mistake or take the action or do something, be inspired and empowered to be able to do it because it all creates some change. And like you say, as long as that change in choice is done in a way that feels positive and is positive towards that it can only create a good thing you know and the more people doing that the better it is as well and just picking up on a point that you said earlier about you know when you're talking about the tree growing through the building and things and I did a workshop probably about a year ago now I sent people for a break and just said go find some nature and just kind of do your thing with it observe it do some of the sensor stuff you talked about and 
this guy who was in his workplace and walks to work every single day hasn't noticed how many gardens there were with green things in, hadn't noticed mm-hmm. trees. And I think that even that is a good action. Even bringing your awareness and your perspective to be able to see so much more, that doesn't then just give you that option in nature connectedness. That's training your brain to go, oh, what's over here? Or what opportunity is there for me? Or, oh, look at the possibilities out there that I could do. So it really can benefit our personal development and our well-being in having that empowered thought to just kind of do something good and positive for yourself. It definitely trains the brain as well to go, there's a bigger horizon here for me. Mm. It made me think as well in terms of that personal well-being side of things that nature doesn't do perfection, you know, another of the natural principles that let's celebrate the messiness. So it's fantastic that you see now in gardening programs and other programs, there's a new one at the moment called the Wildlife Gardener and this idea that we create and leave messy spaces for nature is really, really exciting. But we need to do the same for ourselves. No, Absolutely. No. How many people, when lockdown happened, were embracing the fact that they could wear the jogging buttons on a Zoom meeting yes. and have the hair messy? And, and that is it, isn't it? It's that actually it's okay. And I did this podcast with Helen from Make It Wild. Her life was a surgeon before she kind of got into the nature side of things. And she was saying, you know, it was a way you had to present yourself there. And then to just embrace this total like wilderness and wild space of just being part of nature and leaving your hair messy and going out and pottering and having that freedom is just in itself a form of expression. That is about, again, I'm going to quote another natural principle here, but about valuing your uniqueness because actually just being relaxed and being in a relaxed and comfortable state is part of that uniqueness for yourself in a way. It's actually just self-expression that doesn't require any front as well. It's so beneficial to people. Absolutely. It's very unfair of me to ask you the questions about your what if you learn from nature without answering it for herself because it got me thinking actually and I think for me the wild spaces stuff was really beneficial but I maybe interpret it in a different way my brain is very excited and curious about a lot of different things and so to be able to leave those wild spaces that there's an idea over there you know I've sowed that seed over there but actually I'll just leave that for a bit in the wilderness I'll come back to that and I'll focus kind of on these sort of things that was really helpful as well and I think all the seasonal stuff like really observing the seasons and knowing like you say that there's a pause time and there's a time for reflection I've just done a month off social media and that time over November really to sort of hibernate and propagate some ideas both in business and in life as well and play and curiosity and exploration is that if something doesn't work for nature it doesn't give up it kind of is playful and curious in how it resolves that situation for itself to be able to thrive and I think that rather than slog against something that it just goes oh well we'll do this instead you know and that can be really helpful both in business and personal life as well and I think you know that's a really lovely way for people to think about what can nature teach us you know what are the three things I'm going to take from nature today that help me in my well-being but help me also learn from nature and be inspired by nature as well so is there anything else that you would like to cover I guess today that we might want to reflect on in terms of nature and nature connectedness 
We've had a lovely chat, haven't we? we have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be careful with these things because I think I could probably talk for like eight hours about it all as well. I think the only thing that I'd probably want to sort of stress more is that this works for absolutely everything. Yeah. You know, you can learn from nature for your business, for your workplace, for your personal life, for your relationships, for your traumatic experiences, bereavement, yeah. divorce, health and well-being, mental ill health, absolutely everything. And yeah. that is because we are nature. So we're not separate from nature. We are living beings, just the same as trees. We just happened to have gone off on a different evolutionary line a couple of billion years ago. But, but these natural principles that we've been referring to, the reason that they are what they are and in the book, there's a few more than 42. I've taken them from biomimicry, from permaculture, from other disciplines. What they all have in common is that they are the secrets that we have in common with all living beings. Yeah. So these are the secrets of success, but for absolutely everything. And if we can get back to learning from those natural principles we can be sure that we're living a pretty good, resilient, successful life. There's going to be always be ups and downs, but there always is in nature and we can cope with them a lot better. And the interesting thing about research is that when you look at research, take resilience, the research that's been done in humans has come up with this whole load of factors about what makes humans resilient. Yeah. And then if you look at what makes a woodland resilient, they're exactly the same. Yeah. The researchers can go out there and do all their stuff and we can reverse test it and think, okay, so does this work in woodlands? Or we can shortcut that process and think, okay, so in a woodland, being in a forest is much more healthy for a tree than being on their own. Yeah. What does that say about human resilience? Oh, well, what a surprise. We find exactly the same thing in human resilience, that if you've got a support network, then you're more resilient. The same is true for longevity as well. Exactly the same factors you see in longevity in forests you see in humans. So what we do then is like then hone down into those principles. What is it that is making this a success? Yeah. And then we can shortcut that whole process. So instead yeah. of having to do studies, we just shortcut the process. But full circle to what we were saying before about apprentices to nature is it involves a level of humility, I think, for yeah. us as humans. We, and vulnerability we have to, as well, actually, to realise that we, the answer yeah. is somewhere else to where we might have been looking. Exactly. And so instead of being above nature, we've put ourselves firmly back in amongst, you know, we sit in the forest rather than standing outside with a chainsaw. Metaphorically, I'm talking, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not saying never chop down a tree. I, I own a forest myself. So, but metaphorically being in amongst the trees and seeing ourselves as connected, then yeah. we've got a totally different perspective on our role. And that can only be to our benefit of us as individuals, but also as the future of the human race as well. Yeah, absolutely think so. And I'm going to let you definitely do a plug of how people can find Think Like a Tree shortly. And I think one of the things I was going to say is if you're curious about Nature Connection, then here's my shameless plug is sign up and subscribe to the Where the Mind Grows, where you'll get my Nature 365 form, really, that encourages people to do something in nature every single day. 
And that's just another opportunity to notice what you felt like before you went into nature. What did you observe and experience kind of afterwards as well? But I'm going to go over to you now, Sarah, to tell us the ways that people can learn to think like a tree. <laughs> so my website is www.thinklikeatree.co.uk. So Google Think Like a Tree and you, it will come up. And I'll put it in the show notes as well when I put the podcast. Oh, thanks, there, yeah. JK. And the books are available to purchase on the website or on usual retailers, Amazon and bookshops, etc., etc. But then also come on a course. We do workshops online and in person. And then you can come on the full Think Like a Tree program, which is a 15 hour program where you use a design cycle to actually get to grips with these natural principles, the patterns that we see in nature and actually apply them to your own specific circumstances. And then, of course, if you're totally smitten with that and you want to take that further, then you do what you've done, JK, which is come and train as a facilitator so that you can then deliver the program yourself or adapt it and bring it into your own work as well. So it's fantastic that we've got that network of facilitators taking that forward in lots and lots of different areas so but again I've got an email list as well I just send out course information and I tend to be quite chatty on my emails and just kind of <laughs> tell you random facts about it's me and my dog good. going yeah. walking and things <laughs> like that so if you can cope with some information about courses and books and some of the random chat about me living in the national forest then my email list is via the website as well and we hope that this episode inspires those of you that already love nature to love it even more and show yourself some self-compassion in doing so and for those of you that are maybe curious or this is a new part of your life and your exploration that this inspires you to do anything from go and sit in nature and attune your senses to taking your shoes and socks off and paddling around in some mud that's what I <laughs> as well so thank you Sarah for coming well, thanks JK uh, and it's been lovely to chat with you and everyone's been listening to another episode of the wilderness I'm You've been listening to an episode of The Wilderness Mind, brought to you by JK of Where the Mind Grows. Coaching in nature with a green conscience. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Where the Mind Grows or visit our website at wherethemindgrows.co.uk. Follow this episode and our podcast, The Wilderness Mind, to keep track of our future and existing episodes as well. Thank you for listening.